Chapters 13 and 14 of The Life and Doctrine of St. Catherine of Genoa. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. The Life and Doctrine of St. Catherine of Genoa. Chapters 13 and 14. Chapter 13. I saw, said she, a sight which greatly consoled me. I was shown the living source of goodness in God, as it was when yet alone and unanticipated in by any creature. Then I saw it begin to communicate itself to the creatures, and it did so to the fair company of angels, in order to give them the fruition of its own ineffable glory, demanding no other return from them than that they should recognize themselves as creatures, created by the supreme goodness, and having their being wholly from God, apart from whom all things are reduced to pure non-entity. The same must be said of the soul, which also was created immortal, that it might attain to beatitude. For if there were no immortality, there could be no happiness. And because the angels were incapable of annihilation, therefore when their pride and disobedience robed them in the vesture of sin, God deprived them of that participation in his goodness, which, by his grace, he had ordained to give them. Hence they remain so infernal and terrible that none, even those who are specially enlightened by God, can possibly conceive their degradation. He did not, however, subtract all his mercy from them, for had he done so, they would still be more malicious, and would have a hell as infinitely immense in torture as it is in duration. God also is patient with man, his creature, while he remains in this world, although in sin, supporting him by his goodness, by which we are either tortured, or enabled to endure joyfully all grievous things, accordingly as he wishes to impart more or less to us. Of this goodness we sinners participate in this life, because God knows our flesh, which is the occasion of so much ignorance and weakness, and therefore, while we are in this present life, he bears patiently with us, and allures us to him by hidden communications of his bounty. But, should we die in mortal sin, which God forbid, then he would deprive us of his mercy, and leave us to ourselves. Yet not altogether so, because in every place he wills that his mercy shall accompany his justice. And were it possible to find a creature which in no degree participated in the divine goodness, it would be almost as bad as God is good. This I say, because God showed me somewhat of his truth, in order that I might know what man is without him, that is, when the soul is found in mortal sin, at that time, it is so monstrous and horrible to behold, that it is impossible to imagine anything equally so. No one need be surprised at this, which I say and feel, namely, that I can no longer live in myself, that I am, with a single motion of my own proper will, intellect, or memory. Wherefore, whether I speak, walk, remain quiet, sleep, eat, or do anything else, as if from my own proper self, I do not feel or know it. All these things are so far removed from me, that is, from the interior of my heart, that the distance is like that between heaven and earth. And if any of these things could by any mode enter into me, and give me such an enjoyment as ordinarily they produce, 
without doubt i should be filled with misery for i should feel it to be a retrogression from that which had formerly been shown me and that it ought to have been destroyed in this manner all my natural inclinations both of soul and body are being consumed and i know it to be necessary that all that is ours should waste away until nothing of it can be found this is on account of its malignity which nothing is able to overcome but the infinite goodness of god and if it be not hidden and consumed it will never be possible for us to be freed from this goad which is more than infernal and which so far as we are concerned i behold to grow more horrible daily so that one who was interiorly enlightened yet had no confidence in god would be driven to despair by the sight so dreadful are we when compared to god who with great love and solicitude continually seeks to aid us it was still further shown to her in spirit how all the works of men especially those which are spiritual without the aid of supernatural grace remain near god without fruit and are of little or no value she saw also that god never fails to knock at the heart of man in order to enter therein and justify his works and that none can ever complain that he was not called for god is ever knocking and not more at the hearts of the good than at those of the evil chapter fourteen and continuing her discourse she said i have always seen and i am ever seeing more and more clearly that there is no good except in god and that all lesser goods which can be found are such only by participation but pure and simple love cannot desire to receive from god anything however good it may be which is merely a good of participation because god wishes it to be as pure great and simple as he is himself and if the least thing were wanting to this perfection love could not be contented but would suffer as if in hell and therefore i say that i cannot desire any created love that is love which can be felt enjoyed or understood i do not wish love that can pass through the intellect memory or will because pure love passes all these things and transcends them she also said i shall never rest until i am hidden and enclosed in that divine heart wherein all created forms are lost and so lost remain thereafter all divine nothing else can satisfy true pure and simple love therefore i have resolved so long as i live to say always to the world that it may do with my exterior as it wills but my interior this cannot be allowed because it cannot it will not occupy itself except in god nor could it possibly wish to do otherwise for he has locked it up within himself and will discover it to no one knowing that with all his power he is continually striving to annihilate this humanity his creature both inwardly and outwardly in order that when it is entirely destroyed the soul may issue with him from the body and thus united ascend to heaven in my soul therefore i can see no one but god since i suffer no one else to enter there and myself less than any other because i am my own worst enemy if however it happens to be necessary to speak of myself i do so on account of the world which would not understand me should i name myself otherwise than as men are named yet inwardly i say myself is god 
nor is any other self known to me except my God. And likewise, when I speak of being, I say, all things which are being, have it from the essence of God by his participation. But pure love cannot stop to contemplate this general participation coming from God, nor to consider whether in itself, considered as a creature, it receives it in the same way as do the other creatures which more or less participate with God. Pure love cannot endure such comparison. On the contrary, it exclaims with great impetus of love. My being is God, not by participation only, but by true transformation and annihilation of my proper self. Now take example. The elements are not capable of transformation, for it is their nature to remain fixed. And, because this is the law of their being, they have not free will, and it is impossible for them to vary from their original state. But everyone who desires to remain firm in his own mind must have God as his chief end, who arrests every creature at that end for which he has created it. Otherwise it would be impossible to detain it. It is insatiable until it has reached the true center, which is God himself. Now, although man is created for the possession of happiness, yet having deviated from his true end, his nature has become deformed and is entirely repugnant to true beatitude. And on this account, we are forced to submit to God, this depraved nature of ours, which fills our understanding with so many occupations and causes us to deviate from the true path in order that he may entirely consume it until nothing remains there but himself. Otherwise, the soul could never attain stability nor repose, for she was created for no other end. Therefore, whenever God can do so, he attracts the free will of man by sweet allurements, and afterwards disposes it in such a manner that all things may conduce to the annihilation of man's proper being, so that in God is my being, my me, my strength my beatitude, my good, and my delight. I say mine at present, because it is not possible to speak otherwise. But I do not mean by it any such thing as me or mine, or delight or good, or strength or stability, or beatitude. Nor could I possibly turn my eyes to behold such things in heaven and in earth, and if, notwithstanding, I sometimes use words which may have the likeness of humility and of spirituality. In my interior, I do not understand them. I do not feel them. In truth, it astonishes me that I speak at all, or use words so far removed from the truth and from that which I feel. I see clearly that man in this world deceives himself by admiring and esteeming things which are not, and neither sees nor esteems the things which are. Listen to what Fra Jacopo says about this in one of his louds. This one which commences, O love of poverty, he says, What appears to thee is not, so great is that which is. Pride is in heaven, humility condemns itself. He says, What appears, that is, all things visible and created are not, and have no true being in themselves. So great is that which is namely God, in whom is all true being. Pride is in heaven, that is, the true greatness is in heaven and not on earth. Humility condemns itself, that is, 
the affections placed on things created which are humble and vile not having in themselves any true being but let us consider more attentively this matter namely this human blindness which takes white for black and holds pride for humility and humility for pride and from which springs the perverse judgment which is the cause of all confusion let us see what pride may be i say according to what i see with the interior eye pride is nothing else but an elevation of the mind to things which surpass man and are above his dignity and whenever man abandons that which is and which knows and which is powerful for that in truth has neither existence knowledge nor power this is not pride this degrades him and it generates that pride accompanied by presumption self-esteem and arrogance which occasions so many sins against charity for the neighbor for man believes himself to be such as he appears in his disordered mind which is so full of miseries therefore god says to this proud man if thou seekest according to the nature of the created soul for such things as seem at present to be good and for that happiness which belongs to earth know that they are not they cannot satisfy nor afford contentment seek rather in heaven where pride is lawful and where it is not placed in things empty and vain but in things which are really great which always remain and which cause a sinless pride but if thou seekest after worthless things thou shalt never find them and shalt lost those which thou shouldest have sought if man's eyes were pure he would see clearly that things which pass away so quickly as do those things which in this world are esteemed beautiful good and useful could not truly be said to be so such words being suitable only for things which have no end hence man if he prides himself upon temporal things becomes unable to attain those that are celestial and eternal degrades into a vile and humble creature whose greatness is lost and who is degraded to the condition of the things he has always sought think alas what will become of this spirit so generous created for the highest dignity and felicity when it is immersed in the vile filth of his own depraved desires and held by his own demerits in abominations which will ever grow worse but which will never end and which have no remedy alas what pain what anguish and what desperate tears shall then be to this poor soul we see and know by experience that only two causes could enable the spirit to remain in a place of torture one of these is force and the other the hope of a great reward for such endurance what despair then will not man suffer when the force which detains him in hell shall never cease and the pain shall have no remuneration it is certain that our spirit was created for love and for felicity and this is what it is constantly seeking in all things it can never find satiety in temporal things and yet is ever hoping that it may there attain it finally it deceives itself and loses that time which is so precious and which was given it that it might seek god the supreme good in whom may be found the true love and the holy satisfaction which should be its true satiety and full repose but what will it do in the end when having lost all its occupations and discovered all its illusions and its vain hopes and lost all its time it remains deprived of every good and though contrary to its nature 
must forever remain forcibly deprived of all love and felicity. This one thing is so painful and terrible to contemplate, that to speak of it makes me tremble with fear. By this I comprehend what hell and heaven may be, because, as I see that man by love becomes one with God, in whom he finds all happiness, so on the contrary I see that, deprived of love, he remains as full of woes as he would of joys, and that is infinitely, if he had not been so mad. Therefore, although we hear it said that hell is a great punishment, yet this does not appear to me to express it, nor can its gravity be truly told or comprehended, neither could it be represented to one as I understand it. Only by the greatness of love, the true and omnipotent God, can that which is opposed to it be measured. When I consider the blindness of those who, for the sake of things so vile and little, allow themselves to be stupidly led away into the abyss of such horrible and infinite woe, all that is within me is moved by great compassion, in this connection, I recall a possessed person who was forced by a religious to declare who he was. He cried out with great force, I am that wretch who is deprived of love. He said this with a voice so piteous and penetrating that inwardly I was filled with pity, especially when I was hearing those words, deprived of love. End of chapters 13 and 14